Hello, folks. Welcome to the Fallon Farm, broadcasting from the uh, frigid upper Midwest, uh, where we are currently 23 degrees below normal. Uh, compliments of the polar vortex, I believe. Anyway, we've got a, uh, an interesting show for you. Later in the program, we'll be talking about the color purple, which, by my reckoning, is a candid review of the midterm election. We'll also be talking about how the California fires are, well, being blamed uh, by President Trump on poor forest management. Right. Blame the trees, of course. And with me in the studio is Dr. Charles Goldman. Hello, Charles. How are you today? How's it going, Ed? Good, good, good. First, though, uh, we've got a We've got an interesting uh, guest on the phone here. Dick Larson is joining us. Hello, Dick. Are you with us? I am. Thank you. I got this interesting email uh, this week, um, or actually <laughs> last week, uh, telling me that the uh, well, that the I mean, basically that. But basically, I agree with the premise that we are unable to. Uh, the political system is and economic systems are failing the people of the world. Uh, millions are being disenfranchised. And millions are demanding change, and that ain't happening. Was this a, uh, right. a solicitation for Donald Trump? Yeah, campaign. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So anyway, uh, a lot of people have theories as to what should happen, but yeah, your theory was a bit out of the box. So I thought, well, why not have this conversation? Uh, apparently, there is a um, great teacher, Matraya. Am I saying his or her name right? Maitreya. Maitreya, okay. And it is, a, it, is, it is a dude, right? A him. Yes, it is. Okay. And uh, he has been uh, living for thousands of years. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Uh, in the mountainous regions of the world, and now he has arrived and is yeah. preparing to tell us uh, what we need to do to, to solve this mess. Do I have all that yeah. right? Yeah, pretty much, yes. He, um, he is a, part, a member of the spiritual kingdom. And so uh, he, he, about every 2,000 years, we get a great teacher to help humanity with the next step forward. Um, and 2,000 years ago is the great teacher, Jesus, who brought the teaching of God's love. And he came from the spiritual kingdom. Well, this teacher comes the same way, except this teacher wasn't born from a woman. This teacher made his own body. So he doesn't need to sleep or eat. He can't be killed. Um, and he's here waiting for the right time to come forward to have a big press conference, which I, worldwide, hooked up by satellite, uh, television, and radio. I think it'll be within the next two years. Okay. That's my best guess. And you're, official. and you're his spokesperson. Well, I'm one of several. There are, I'm a volunteer for a nonprofit educational organization called Share International. There are about 4,000 of us in the world. Not, there are only a few of us who do interviews like this, and I'm one of them. I'm here in Southern California, so I'm not 23 degrees below zero. <laughs> no, you're, no, he's about 150. You're about to burn up. <laughs> well, I grew, I grew up in southern Minnesota, a town called oh. Marshall, and so I know what those temperatures are Oh, you sure are like. do. Yeah, you got, us, you got us beat by, a, by 150 miles. Well, okay. how, how did you come yeah. to be approached? How did you come to be approached to be a spokesperson? Um, I wasn't. I, I just heard there's a man named Benjamin Krem who lived in London who traveled the world for about 40 years telling this story uh, with no pay. Um, he volunteered to do it when he was asked. And 
a friend told me he was coming to Los Angeles to give a lecture, so I attended. Well, a lot of what he said went right over my head, but some of it really made sense to me. I thought it was just kind of practical and, and necessary, so I started reading his books and paying attention, and then I ended up interviewing Benjamin Krem on television three times and, um, and knew him very well over the last 25 years before he passed away. And I just... I just decided that, and several of us have, decided to try and continue his work, letting the world know that there's a great teacher coming, and, and they don't have to believe it. I'm not trying to convince people this is true. I'm just kind of giving people a heads up, and then they can see what happens. I just, so, want, to, I just want to know why we have to wait 2,000 years to get a, a teacher, a great teacher. I mean, that seems like, a, that seems like pretty punitive on the part of the powers that be. Well, it's it's a cosmic cycle that we go through. Our solar system doesn't sit still. It moves in an orbit, an elliptical orbit. It takes about 26,000 years to get around it. And as we move, we come into co close contact with each of the 12 constellations that we call the zodiac. The the astronomers call it the precession of the equinox. But, but for the last 2,000 years, we've been close to and receiving energies from the great constellation Pisces. Jesus was the teacher who came to inaugurate the age of Pisces 2,000 years ago. That's, I've, he fed the crowd with fish. There's, I'll make you fishers of men. That's the symbol for Pisces. There's two symbols for Christianity, the cross and the fish. Well, that's the reason. Well, now we're moving out of the influence of Pisces and into the influence of Aquarius, so it's time to get the teacher for the age of Aquarius, and we'll start working with Aquarian energies, which are cooperation and synthesis. People will be working in groups. And, and so, so, so that's it, why it, it's 2,000 years. Okay, so now it is not uncommon for someone to announce, and this has uh, gone on for forever, that the Messiah is coming, some great leader is coming, the end of the world is coming. This is, I mean, the end of the world has happened, I don't know, hundreds of times since, uh, <laughs> since, the, uh, since, the, uh, since the time of Christ. And so why, 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 is this, why is what you're telling me not likely to be dismissed by others, including the press, as being just another one of these you know, crazy news. ideas? Yeah, well, it has been. Um, and it's not going to be the end of the world. He doesn't come to wave his hand over a desolate world. That makes no sense. He comes to help us get the world back on track. Um, and so, no, I'm, like I said, I'm not asking anybody to believe this. He's not a religious figure. He comes as strictly as a teacher. He can't wave a magic wand and make everything okay because it's our mess. We're the ones that need to clean it up. But what he will do is make suggestions and give advice. We have free will, and we can either follow his suggestions or not. But I'm, he has said there I'm, are about I'm, 2 billion people who will respond to him when he comes forward. I mean, I'm doing that all the time, making suggestions, giving it advice. <laughs> not too many people listen. No. Well, Even Charles doesn't listen. Nobody's ever seen a teacher with the energy and the power of love and the wisdom like this before. This, is, this will be a whole new experience for humanity. Um, his first four priorities are real basic stuff. He said he wants to help us figure out how to do food for everybody, shelter for everybody, education for everybody, and health care. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's, it's, socialist. it's Bernie Sanders. It's Bernie Sanders. <laughs> it is. The great teacher is Bernie Sanders. You just outed him. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> but that's real basic stuff. He says everybody needs to have those basic needs met. The United Nations already says those are human rights, but we haven't acted on them. So he's going to make suggestions about how we can make that happen if we want to follow and take his advice. And, and so I would like your listeners to know there are three ways they will recognize him when he comes in this worldwide press conference. 
The first way is you will see his face on TV, but his lips won't move. You'll hear his words in your head in whatever your native language is telepathically. It'll be a very strange experience. Um, the second way you'll know it's him is that while he's speaking, people will feel the love of God in their heart like they've never felt it before. A lot of people be crying. I'll probably be one of them. Trust the love in your heart. The Antichrist can't do that if you're afraid of the Antichrist. So, the third way people will know it's him is that after he's done speaking for 35, 45 minutes, nobody knows exactly how long or exactly when. After he's done speaking, there'll be press reports from all around the world that while he was speaking, hundreds of thousands of people were miraculously healed. And in this way, we'll know that this is a teacher. He's going to be with us for the next 2,000 years. He'll be at the center of humanity making suggestions about how we can get this world back on track. We have lost our way. So how is, how is, God. But how, how, is, uh, how is the press not going to dismiss this as fake news? Well, <laughs> some will. Some will, but he's not worried about the press. He wants to touch every individual's heart and let them know that he comes to help. And then everybody can make up their own mind. So he's not worried about the press. He, he, he wants to make sure that everybody has their own personal experience of him and reaction to him so that each person can decide on their own whether they want to follow his suggestions or not. It's a great time to be alive. If this is true, and, and, and I think it is, obviously, or I wouldn't be talking about it, but if this is true, it's a wonderful time to be alive because we're going to see changes in our lifetime that we couldn't even believe were possible. One of God's great laws is the well, law of I, equilibrium. I, 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 the law of equilibrium... I, 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 ho- I, ho- I hope he can. I hope he can help help us fix the climate crisis. What, what's um, the best way? If, what's the best way if people want to learn more about this coming? Is he on Twitter? Thank you for <laughs> thank you for asking. There's a website they can go to. It's www. share s h a r e i n t l for international. dot org. I'll repeat that. Share dash i n t l. dot org. And there's all kinds of videos, and, and um, he said there would be signs. Every major religion has had miracles happening that people can't explain, statues of Mary that are crying blood. Um, every major religion has had miracles. And, and they're just signs that a, that a great thing is coming, and it's a, it's a great time to be alive. Things are going to turn around. I know it looks terrible right now, but that's, all this trouble has got to come to the surface so it can be cleaned out and pave the way for a brilliant, wonderful future. However bad it's been, that's how good it's going to get. Right. That's the law of equilibrium. We'll see if we can hang so, on to two more years of the Trump presidency and, uh, and, then, uh, if we have to. and then let the good times roll. <laughs> let the good times roll, that's right. Uh, hey, uh, I we, agree. We've got to take a break here, Dick. Uh, thanks for calling in. Dick Larson, You're folks. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. And, uh, it takes a lot of courage to, takes a lot of courage to put me on the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank you. you. I'll, I'll take that as a high compliment. Well, anyway. I, actually not. I mean, I like the idea that uh, that organized religion may have a, a, a competitor here. <laughs> <laughs> well, a, a different kind of organized effort. Well, yeah. Hey, uh, folks, when we come back, uh, we got to do a little election review here. Was it red? Was it blue? I think it was the color purple. We'll talk about that when we come back in a couple minutes on the Fallon Forum. 
Gateway Market and Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. Community CPA and Associates, with locations in Des Moines and Coralville, is the perfect place to go for all of your tax and accounting needs. Community CPA offers a wide array of services, from tax planning to business IT solutions. Call Community CPA today at 515-288-3188 or visit www.communitycpa.com for more information. Hi folks, it's Ed Fallon reminding you that you can eat Iowa-grown food all winter long at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Over 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms and their dishes are amazing. I once brought a guy there from New York and he was blown away by the experience. He said it was like any fine dining you'd enjoy in Greenwich Village, but at one-fourth the price. So don't go all the way to, to New York City when you can enjoy gourmet dining prepared with Iowa-grown food at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Ritual Cafe is located at 13th and Locust in beautiful downtown Des Moines. It's a great place for coffee, tea, smoothies, and a full vegetarian menu. Ritual Cafe also features music on the weekends. For more information, call Ritual Cafe at 515-288-4872. That's 515-288-4872. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 246-8149. That's 246-8149. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like our cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie and delicious olive bar and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let our catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Our expert floral designers can even customize perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market. Good food, great entertaining. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here and Charles Goldman in the studio at KDLF 1260 AM and 96.5 FM broadcasting from Des Moines. So, um, yeah, the election. Yeah, I, I've been puzzling about it for a bit, and maybe Charles has as well. But, um, you know, the bottom line is that in a, mid, a midterm election in the, you know, for, the, for the party that's not in the White House – uh, we, and given the whole climate, we probably expect uh, – Democrats, I believe, expected more, expected a, a more dramatic shift. You know, winning the House, uh, the U.S. House, is good. So now 
Democrats control one third or one half of one third of, uh, of government. <laughs> right. I mean, pretty. We, we, I guess we, we, we could pretty much say that the, uh, the way the courts are being remade by President Trump, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very partisan and very Republican court, especially the Supreme Court. But mm-hmm. um, Yeah, being so. that all the appointments are coming right out of the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society, and as yeah. we'll talk about a little bit, this notion of originalism is clearly antithetical to progress and uh, and we'll talk about that later yeah. in the show. The um, yeah, I, I think one of the big uh, stories, and this is a very positive story from a, a Democratic, uh, the Democrats' point of view, is the shift in the suburbs. Now in Iowa, well, let's see, let's closer to home in in Des Moines, in Polk County, we saw four Republican male incumbents beaten by four Democratic women challengers in the mm-hmm. suburbs. Right. I mean, Des Moines is already solidly Democratic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has six or seven pretty much uh, seats that are all Democrat. The suburbs now have always been Republican, more yeah. moderate Republican, but they, they, we, we, but they, were, they were cleaned out this time, as was another suburb of Cedar Rapids. So, mm-hmm. so despite that, <laughs> Democrats did not gain control of the House because they did nothing anywhere else. Uh, they lost a few seats elsewhere. In fact, in the, in the state Senate, they lost three seats. They went right. from a, a minority of uh, 21 to a minority of 18. That's the smallest minority I've ever seen in the Iowa Senate. Mm-hmm. And again, that, that parallels what happened nationally. Although there was a big enough shift nationally where you saw Congress go uh, go Democrat, uh, but not the U.S. Senate. The Senate, again, even even more Republican than it was. Well, and, uh, I, think, I think part of the issue is that, you know, the, the, the Republicans are running in an environment in which unemployment is at multi-decade lows. Uh, the economy of Iowa in particular is very robust. You'd have to ask yourself, what if unemployment was 5% in Iowa or nationwide? Um, it's pretty amazing, actually, that Democrats were able to make the gains they did nationally. Oh, I don't given think, I, I, given I, the environment, well, I don't. I don't. Th- I, I, I'm not. I would not blame or credit the economy for any impact on the election. It was a wash. Well, I mean, I think. but Kim Reynolds basically ran with things are good. Why mess it up? And it is hard to argue with that. And the Democrats were not exactly putting forward a a comprehensive program to with, with, deal with, with that. But with, with what governor? With uh, sorry, with what Governor Reynolds did to Medicaid. Well, I mean, again, following up on Branstead's decision to privatize it, right. and then buckling, you know, doubling down, saying yes, privatization of Medicaid, a great thing, despite the fact that what seventy-five, eighty percent of Iowans are now feeling it was a really bad idea. Right. Despite that, she beat Fred Hubble, and because he, again, I, I didn't feel he had a coherent message. I don't think he he taught that the end of privatization is always the same. The Republicans always go, want to privatize, and the end is always the same. Right. And and and, and this this privatization hit particularly hard, and yet Democrats still couldn't capitalize on it. And I, again, I think there's two reasons. One, you know, Hubble did not make that the, you know, the reason to elect him. Correct. Because was, I wasn't was, clear on exactly. Yeah, All I said was he's going to reverse it. Yeah, there was a bunch of stuff you talked about. And, and right. I know you've got to talk about other issues, other, other, that other issues are important to people, but that was the one thing that I think could have tripped this election in his favor. But he has a huge obstacle to overcome. He had a huge obstacle to overcome, and that is being an incredibly wealthy guy from Des Moines. Uh, being pegged as the establishment, being pegged as the elite candidate, especially when you're so running— So if he was from Council Bluffs, would he have won? No. 
again, the key is, yeah, being from Des Moines is always an additional liability <laughs> in, okay. in a statewide election in Iowa. Right. But the, the, the main problem wasn't location, it was income. And the sense that here's a candidate who is part of the establishment. I mean, the Hubble name is deep in the, you know, the, the, the establishment, you know, system here in, the, in, in Iowa, not just in Des Moines. Uh, and, you know, Kim Reynolds So said, you think her running basically as a middle-class mom sure. was yeah. the well, difference? You know, waiting tables, uh, recovering from, uh, you know, problem, problems with alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just getting her degree recently. All those things resonate with people who are struggling despite the economic indications that, yeah, unemployment is low. Um, you know, people are doing okay, even though, you know, when you, when you start talking to people about it, they're not doing okay. They're struggling. And the cost right, because of the, wage growth is wage is, growth is horrible. Is the minimal, cost of and where is it up. is, where it's even happening, it's being eradicated by medical premium costs. Going yeah, uh, me, right. medical costs in particular, but other other costs of living and college. I mean, it's just it's through the roof. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, the, if Democrats had had the sense to nominate somebody who could have, uh, um, you know, canceled out Reynolds. You know, populist. I'm one of you. Message. Mm-hmm. They might have had a shot at it, especially if they'd really hit hard on Medicaid. But you know, again, the candidate that gets pegged as the elite candidate, the candidate who is most tied to the establishment, is going to lose. We saw that with with Hubble here in Iowa. We saw it with Patty Judge against Senator Grassley. Yeah, Braley. Saw it with Braley mm-hmm. against an unknown. You know, state senator named Joni Ernst. Right. We saw it with Hillary Clinton. We saw it with John Kerry. I don't know how many more times Democrats are going to make the same mistake uh, because it's bordering on what we define as insanity. <laughs> well, but what you're saying then is is that issues actually matter a lot less. I, I do. I, I believe that. And it's really yeah. more about a cult of personality. People vote for a person. Yeah, the issues play into it. Right. But they they they, they vote for a person that they feel they can connect with. Mm-hmm. I, again, I know, I know, and this whole strategy of the I, Democrats. I, I, interestingly, I would say that 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 is very true of the difference right now in this country. I I, I believe that, especially since the education gap heavily favors the Democrats, um, that what happens out in the rural communities is that they are looking for exactly what you're saying, somebody they feel comfortable with to start with, someone who is not dismissive of them, as most of us are, right. um, well. and and some who someone who they would want to have a beer with. That was the George W. Bush formula. Yeah, sure. Now, I mean, is that a criteria for putting somebody you know, at the head of the largest military enterprise in the world? No, of course not. <laughs> no more so than it's putting Donald Trump, who's hardly a non-elite. No, he's, he's, he's totally a New York, established, he's a but New he York came elitist. off as the outsider. Well, interestingly, that's right, because he was able to, to actually play up the thing that drives him the most. He lived out in Queens, which is where I grew up, and he and his father were not accepted by the Manhattan rich. Mm-hmm. And his whole life has been about daddy – and the snub from people. That's why he hates Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> no, seriously. So, yeah. I mean, he, he, in fact, is able to portray the outsider because he feels himself. He's made himself to feel an outsider. And I think that is what people saw in him. Plus, of course, he's a, he's a celebrity. And Americans are hugely, you know, indebted to celebrity. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that, that Hubble... And even where he might have argued policy, I didn't really find that what he said was all that detailed that I would say, 
Well, he's going to fix Medicaid. Yeah. You know, he just said he would. Yeah. But, and then, and again, the, the logical and real simple way to fix Medicaid is to reverse the privatization of it. Right. I mean, well, yeah. it's pretty obvious. If, you're, if, if you allow private companies to skim off hundreds of millions of dollars that you're supposed to be spending on health care, <laughs> yeah. what do you think is going to happen? How's that going to work? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's our but, system. You know, I, I think that the two, the, the, the two things I'd say more, more about this election, uh, one, it wasn't just in Iowa, but across the country, in, in Ohio, in Cobb County outside of Atlanta, Morris County, New Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. in, uh, where my brother used to live. In Virginia. Doc, where Dr. Goldman used to live. Yeah, yeah in Fairfax <laughs> and Loudoun, Virginia. In Kansas, even, you know. Uh, Republican, uh, Republican suburban lawmakers and Congress, congressmen were defeated by women. And so I, I, that, that's one of the two big messages. And here's what I, here's what I fear the Democrats. So who should run for president for the Democrats in 2020? Uh, everybody. Let's, let's make it a robust field and sort them out as best we can. But the, um, you know... The, Democrats have shown that they can win suburbia, but is, is it a blip or is it, some, is, is, it a, is it a universe they can hang on to? I don't know. I suspect it might be a universe they can hang on to, but that doesn't mean they don't have a problem because, again, with all the voter uh, suppression put into place through gerrymandering, through, uh, through I, voter ID laws, through um, – through all, all, I mean, all you name it. There's like so many different tactics out there. The one in North Dakota where they required a, a street address, which right. affects Native Americans. They don't have those, you know. Um, one after the other. There are all, there's all these obstacles that have been put in place by secretaries of state who are doing partisan work. But the bigger problem is Democrats haven't learned how to message to rural Americans. And and and, and, that, and they, that being said, that being said, one of the stories that never gets talked about, you know, after we go beyond. You know, Beto O'Rourke and 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 uh, you know the camp uh, story, you know, in Georgia, and the, obviously the two Florida races, is that in fact the Democrats were pretty successful. They took governorships in key states that turned the election last time. Yeah, well, Walker they, and Wisconsin. They, they flipped three hundred three hundred plus state legislature seats. They got rid of super majorities in five states, which is paralyzed. Even if they had a, yeah. a Republican gov- a Democratic governor, because watch what's going to happen in, in Wisconsin. Everybody's so happy Scott Walker is out. Well, before he's out, the legislature there, which is Republican controlled, is going to try to eviscerate the powers of the governor, <laughs> including ability to make you know certain appointments, leaving him with Scott Walker's. Tools, legacy, yeah, yeah, and yeah. legacy yeah. that that the Democratic governor is going to get to uh, preside over, and then of course when the state gets even worse, they're going to blame the governor because of these Republican functionaries. Yeah. So it's at the state level. This is where the Republicans won. The Republicans won where they are now by understanding that controlling the states sure. is, is more important than Especially many ways coming up to a than controlling. Yeah. Anything but the Senate. The Senate's yeah. important to them because of the appointments to the judiciary. The yeah, because judiciary. coming up to the Senate, though. Oh, sorry, the, uh, yeah. the census. And, you know, and I, I haven't uh, studied the map well enough to know how that's going to play out. I mean, we've got another two years before you really know. But what happened in 20 20- – like, for example, in Iowa, mm-hmm. when you have a 32 to 18 Republican majority in the Senate, which used to be Democratic control not, not right. too many years ago – you know, I mean, we don't and have it basically we, we, breaks even Democrat yeah, Republican. I mean, when we look at the vote. Yeah, we, we don't have uh, we don't have a partisan redistricting process here, which is uh, which is unusual and admirable. Admirable, but if we did that, thirty-two to eighteen majority in the Senate could be devastating That's in right. terms of how the uh, how the how, what kind of gerrymandering well, you have, might you'd have like North Carolina, <laughs> where the Democrats are in the majority, but they they have only like twenty percent of the seats in the House of Representatives. Right. It's just crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there's two things that the Democrats need to do. 
Okay, stop collecting money from Wall Street to put ads on TV. Right. Use that money to go down to Florida and register every one of those 1.4 million felons who are now going to be able to vote. And make sure you have buses to take every one of them to the polls. Do everything you need to register these people. Do you think that 1.4 million felons are going to vote Republican? Yeah. No. Okay. That's, so a, that, that's, that's a great idea. They need to make a legitimate outreach to the Hispanic community in this country because they are the biggest difference. And everyone assumes they're going to vote Democratic. It's not true. Yeah. There's a lot of people among the Hispanic population who, because of, of religious reasons with some of the social policies of the Democrats, are very uncomfortable with the Democrats. And there's a lot of people who don't feel motivated. It's weird to say that given what's going on with immigration and other things that affect them. I mean, the difference in, for instance, the difference in Florida in the senatorial election may turn out to be Cubans who voted almost 90% in Miami for Rick Scott. Yeah. So, you know, everyone says the demographics are all for the the, the Democrats going ahead. They need to do something and yeah. stop just putting ads on TV saying Trump stinks. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, what do you think about uh, Tom Steyer's approach to, to winning back uh, – Democratic control of just continuing to ha- hammer on the need for impeachment. That's a waste of time. Oh, gosh, is it ever? Total waste of time. <laughs> Spend Such your time, time legislating and forcing the Senate and the president not to consider things that would help. Fixing the, you know, the problem with preexisting conditions. Yeah. Fixing the infrastructure. Fixing schools. Addressing the opioid crisis. Yeah. Spend your time. Uh, you know, you but, can get Donald Trump later. The New York right. Attorney General is going to get Donald Trump as soon as he steps out yeah. of the presidency. Yeah. But, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the last thing I want to say before we move to a break, Charles, sure. is that Democrats can't expect to, you know, to, to advance their, you know, their, their numbers just by saying that we're going to get more and more votes from urban counties. Correct. I mean, there's only so many you Hubble can get. Hubble won seven counties out of 99 in Iowa. They were all mm-hmm. big counties. And that was with the help of these suburban you know, districts, the suburban House and Senate districts that went Democrat. But that, that's not a recipe for success. You have to figure out a way to talk with rural America. And, and Democrats still haven't done that. And in that, you know, if they, if they continue to ignore that constituency, <clears throat> they're going to continue to remain the minority party despite these other changes that, you know, bode well for them. Right. I agree. I think that there has to be a very strategic outreach and stop competing in places you're not going to win and wasting money there. And stop wasting money on mass media and start using it to, to do the work on the ground. All right. Hey, we've got to run to a short break here, uh, folks. Uh, this is Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman. Uh, broadcasting on Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. We'll be back in a minute as we talk about President Trump's response to the California wildfires, blaming the trees, essentially, uh, <laughs> while, while at the same time working to gut fuel efficiency standards. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Charles Goldman as well. We've got to take a look at the uh, raging wildfires in California. Uh, the biggest the biggest fire in the state's history. Uh, and fire season didn't used to be November. It is now. No, fire season right now is year-round, basically. It's year, but but that, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's an entirely new development. It right. didn't used to be that way. And... Uh, I mean, I look at the I look at the stories every day, and and here's here's President Trump blaming forest management, blaming California for poorly managing its forests, even though 
Most of the forest land in California is federally owned. Or privately owned or, or private. industri- industry owned. That's correct. Right. I, I think when he said when, – when, I've been trying to find more detail about this, but I presume when President Trump says – he wants the forest to be better managed. He means – He wants logging companies to have unlimited access yeah, exactly. to do what they want. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there was a great article today from someone who actually knows about fire um, pointing out that one thing you'll notice about these two fires is neither of them are actually in the forest. They're both in, in, right. in, in uh, semi-urban areas. And or, the fuel for this fire is not trees. The fuel for the fire – is the grasses, the dry grasses around these homes and the homes themselves. The the other thing is you'll notice that when they do the flyover, although maybe not when they put the stock footage on, on Fox, um, usually the trees are still standing. The old trees stand. It's the young trees, the green trees, that are the fuel for fires, not for the most part these older trees. Now, now in some areas, the, uh, the, uh, the, is it the pine beetle? Uh, because uh, the winters aren't as cold, they've been able to live through the winter. That is correct. And they've been able to thrive right. and kill trees. And so you've got a lot of dead standing lumber. That is correct. But that is not the majority. And, the, and that's the whole point is you have to taper your management to what's going on. The idea that taking out the old trees, which is what you would do if you were logging, and leaving the green trees behind will actually increase the risk of these fires. So – Not that we would expect President Trump to ever talk to anybody who actually was an expert on uh, fire management. I mean, he was just looking for a cheap shot at California, let's face it. Yeah. Well, and and not only – at a time when you – what, 250 – a quarter of a million people have been evacuated. What, 25 people have died already? Yeah. Uh, over um, 30 at this point. Over 30. Between the two fires. Because two fires going on. You know, thousands of structures have been destroyed. Right. An entire city, Paradise, 30,000 people, the city of Paradise, wiped out. Right. Wiped out. In the space of overnight, basically. I- ironic that it's called Paradise. Mm-hmm. You know? But, and, and then, you know, and Malibu, I mean, two of the most uh, uh, prominent places in terms of California's image, mm-hmm. gone. Well, Malibu's not gone, but it's still, but, but affected. So, you know, what, what, here's what really bothers me. What bothers me more than Donald Trump, because I, I don't expect anything less from Donald Trump than, you know, than, 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 than fake analysis. <laughs> but what, <laughs> what bothers me is every day a front page story in USA Today without a single mention of climate change. It's, it's as if it's just, they're, 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 they're tacitly agreeing with President Trump by, by not calling him out on this, by not saying, hey, we know what's really causing this, and I know it's not just climate change. It's other, it's it's pushing too much urban development into mm-hmm. sensitive areas, um, but you know that's the primary reason. Well, but and the, it's not even being discussed. But the problem is, is that in some sense we've already won the climate change debate because the vast majority of the country believes in climate change. The problem in our system is not that we as a people don't believe in it. The problem is that we elect politicians who are beholden to the interests for whom climate change is a problem. Everything this re- this administration has done has been about opening up more areas to oil and gas. Right. Or, I mean, they're even talking about, forget the clean energy plan, they're even talking about now requiring that grid operators will have to buy insurance, uh, have to buy electricity from coal and nuclear plants. This yeah. is part, this is the problem. The problem is we have a government that is completely Handing control over and to we, these and industries. We ha- and we have a media, the mainstream media that, that Donald Trump so frequently criticizes, are culpable. 
they they don't they don't they don't make the connections. They sometimes they call Trump out, but here they have an opportunity to point out just. But they've done that before. They did that with the car fire. The car fire they did make that was right. the one before this one. They made the connection. Well, I, I don't. Very, no, no, it was very minimally. They they buried it. It wasn't like. It wasn't in the headline where it should have been screaming at you that hey this is what we're this is what we're going to be dealing with as the climate warms, right? They, they buried it, and in the last three or four articles I read, not even mentioned, not even a word about the climate link. Again, I'm not sure how much you're going to get out of it because I think there is the majority of people in this country understand it. The problem is that the majority of people in this country are being told that their lifestyle will have to change if we're really going to address climate change. That is the truth. But I don't think the majority of people understand how urgent it is, how important it is to make these connections and to take dramatic action now. Well, it's interesting, but it plays both ways. You see, the people on the coast don't see the cost of all of these changes in environmental regulations, which predominantly hurt poor people in rural areas. They don't put nuclear plants for the most part in the middle of New York. I mean, Indian Point's pretty close, but it's not in the middle <laughs> of New York. They put the coal plants out in the, in the rural areas. They're the ones who are sucking down the mercury from the fumes when the scrubbers are turned off. They're the ones in West Virginia who have to drink the water that's contaminated when they blow the top off a mountain. So it plays both ways. Now it plays the other way where people in the Midwest are saying, who cares? It's California. <laughs> They're the villains. You know, this is where we are in this country. That's the problem. It's yeah. not a question of not understanding climate change. It's a question I, I, of I, two I, things. People don't want to change the way they live. And I don't think they understand the urgency of it. That IPCC report that says we've well, got we 12 years to Well, we need Florida to disappear. We need most of Florida to be underwater you know, we, we, before people are going to figure this out. Between Sandy and, and these other hurricanes and these fires and the polar vortex, we've had enough warnings. We should, we should be able to figure this out. Right. I agree and, with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's sad that we can't. And it doesn't help that the corporate media failed to make the connection and failed to – Hey, I mean, here, here you have the Des Moines Register doing one front-page story on how, how, how problematic climate is going to be for Iowa and then going away. Like, that's it. That's all you hear. They hardly ever touch it. They didn't. They didn't like. They didn't like use that as a launch to have a more in-depth and ongoing discussion to try to get people to move from. Okay, I understand climate is happening. Okay, now I suddenly feel that I've got to do something because I'm hearing about it all the time. So I mean, I, I blame the media more than Trump. Actually, you know, Trump. We expect him to say crazy stuff. Yeah. Or the media is abdicating its responsibility as the fourth house, so-called. To well, they're the fifth estate. Fifth, oh, well, yeah, they're, they're after the lobbyists now, right? Yeah, right. They're less powerful. Well, historically, they're called they are the fifth estate, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I was hoping they'd be the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so. Um, well, no, I mean, it's hugely frustrating, of course, because you're right. I mean, but what's happened is you, you almost end up with a conclusion, as they did in the, in the report on the, what they now call the safe standards, instead of the cafe standards, um, in which they said, why bother? We can't change anything. Let's burn it. You know, I mean, essentially, that's our own government yeah. saying, just burn the good, you know, burn yeah. gas. Who so, cares? And again, historically, uh, <laughs> let's look at this. Uh, sure. President Obama made a very, very modest step forward on fuel efficiency standards. A very modest step. His requirement, I mean, the, the cafe standards were pretty stringent at what they were expecting after 2020. Right. You know, and. It's and still modest. I mean, 30, was it 35 miles per gallon? Yeah. Okay. For a fleet mileage. I mean, that's that's not easy to achieve if you're going to sell a lot of SUVs. You're going to have to figure something out. But it's fairly modest in terms of what the scientific uh, requirements demand 
Given what, given what we're anticipating is going to continue to happen. Right, but also change. understand that there's something called the rebound effect, which is that as you make cars more efficient, you are going to lose about 10% of that benefit because people are going to drive more. Right. And that is, that's, that's, that's science. Yeah, I mean, let, that's well, sociology it, it, well, and science. That's not just making it up out of the yeah, top of my head. It's also transportation policy. If we fail to... Uh, fail to build uh, you know better bus systems, mm-hmm. uh, light rail systems, passenger that rail systems. Part, that, that is part of it. That's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. Or roads that are safe for pedestrians and, and bicycles. But yeah, so it's it's not just sociology or economics. But yeah, there is a bounce back. But um, but let's look at what Trump's doing. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, it, yeah. So what they want to do is they want to freeze from going from twenty twenty, uh, the present of fuel economy standards. Now they they put out their. Uh, report and the, the basis of their report is that people through some calculations including something called the, the scrappage effect that is that as cars get more expensive people will tend to keep driving a non-fuel efficient older cars for longer and longer um, they put out this uh, you know report from the EPA showing how they're actually not even claiming that there's economic benefit to um, uh, reducing the future requirements. They're only saying that they'll save more lives because somehow, and, and as they point out in a very extensive article in Atlantic, the, the, the logic is completely ludicrous that basically they're arguing that as cars get more expensive, people will buy more cars, which is absolutely ridiculous. And actually the, the, the academic who came up with the scrappage effect, this, you know, this issue about uh, having more ecologically uh, inspired cars – drives the prices up and people will therefore keep their old cars. He says he read this this you know submission that the EPA is coming out with and said, no way. It, absolutely, they totally don't understand what's right. going on here. And in fact, he believes um, that uh, there is no reason not to continue the standards uh, that Obama, uh, his administration before it. And interestingly, Honda and Ford – both came out and said that they are now at this point against the changes that the Trump administration right. but, is but, uh, but, proposing. But, but the other problem is we have more and more – I mean pickup trucks and SUVs have become the dominant vehicle on the roads right. in America, which is when – you, when you consider what's happening with climate and when you consider their fuel efficiency – Standards, you know, versus a small okay. car. It's 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 uh it's so counterproductive to what we need to be accomplishing. Okay, but the people you need to convince of that are not the people out in rural areas who make use of pickup trucks. Sure, oh, I get they're that. They're people. Yeah. They're the same soccer moms and dads in the same white suburbs you were talking about before. Yeah. The people who watch TV and you know the dad is in in, in you know maybe in a job that he hates. And I'm going to go out on the weekend. But he feels better when he but, but I, I, I have a big pickup truck there, and I'm going to pretend that I'm like some working class hero, or I'm going to get the SUV so I can go drive through the pristine stream in the Sierras out in California. <laughs> no, it's all image. Of course, it's ludicrous. Yeah. The only thing, the only reason that these vehicles in the suburbs need to be off road vehicles is if somebody turning into their garage, maybe they go over their own lawn. I mean, it's <laughs> of course, it's it's all about an image, and I agree with you totally. That it's it's absolutely ridiculous that pickup trucks are becoming. I mean, and, and of course, the pickup truck is the biggest scam of all, because the most profit company the car companies make is on things like pickup trucks because they're on truck chassis. You know, sure they throw in now the you know the the uplink to the internet and everything else, but I mean they're still pickup trucks, right? I mean, and, right. and so 
it, they make their profit margin on these is huge. You know, whereas their profit margin on technologically sophisticated cars like turbocharged cars or you know smaller cars is minuscule. So, um, if you want people to stop driving pickups, you need to talk to the white people in the suburbs, <laughs> and not you can't talk to rural people and say don't drive pickup trucks. They actually use them. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I get it. Or show, you know, you walk walk across the country. A pickup truck is useful to some degree, and it's not useful in other ways. Well, when you're you're walking across the country, especially in Arizona, the pickup truck – Pickup truck coming at you is the last thing you want to see. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there were on two, maybe three occasions where we had pickup trucks that uh, they have. I don't I don't know quite what the technology is, but they have that um, that uh, device that allows them to spew a big black cloud of smoke into the air <laughs> as, as they pass you. Yeah. You mean the diesel powered ones, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, but they're, but they'll just they'll blast this big cloud of black smoke in your in your right. face. Yeah. It happened two or three times. Well, then you, you climate marchers, so they're just you know dissing you. Yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, I you know well, let me ask you this. Uh, sure. Are we are we likely to see uh, any action at all on Trump's efforts to to um, you know to turn the clock back on fuel efficiency standards now that the House? Oh yeah. Is I mean, there's two main things. There's two main things that are going to happen. One is um, it's going to take them months to rewrite what they already know is a fundamentally flawed justification with funny math like claiming 700,000 phantom miles 700 million phantom miles were driven under the old Obama standards that they can't figure out where they came up with those they're going to have to rewrite the submission then what's going to happen is they're going to be fighting in court probably for years Right. Uh, and of course California is going to take them to court because California and actually 15 other states are suing the federal government that they don't want to go with any new standards, they want to continue to have higher standards in yes, their states. 15 states have followed California's standards. Correct. Not entirely for environmental reasons, but in some cases because it made sense economically because of the size of the California economy. Well, yeah, but I mean these states also are, are, are doing it predominantly because they don't want to foul their own air any more than any other state does. Yeah. You know, and um, we talked about this a long time ago. You know, which is they all say, you know, industry says we want certitude, right? Right. So having two standards nationally makes no sense. That's hardly certitude. Right. And this is going to go on for years. It's going to probably outlast the Trump administration if, as we're hoping, I am hoping, I can't speak for you, uh, <laughs> that, you know, the Trump administration ends in 2020. Um, so I think the fight over this is – and then, of course, it will become moot because it would be switched back to – to right. continue to try and prove things. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry as much about that. I, I think that's a dead issue right now. The bigger issue is all this giveaway of federal land and leasing of federal land. Uh, I just read that a federal judge told the federal government they cannot uh, sell leases off of California for um, offshore drilling. So th- these are – this is where the this is where the court issue yeah. becomes a and, big and, issue. Yeah, and, and a, a worthy uh, one one court case worth noting. From oh, the, the one that stopped the Keystone XL. Montana, Montana, yeah. Montana uh, you know, right. a district Again. judge in Montana said, uh, "No, actually, uh, a proper environmental study was not done." And he also, she actually mm-hmm. right, also mentioned uh, climate change. You know, mm-hmm. there, there was no no assessment done as to what this pipeline, what Keystone's pipeline, what the Keystone pipeline's impact would be. On climate change. That's a huge ruling. And, you know, again, despite what's happening in the courts nationally with more and more uh, Heritage Foundation appointed judges, you know, mm-hmm. assuming the robe, we still have these rulings that are very positive. 
and you know, and, and thoughtful and indicative of a, a deeper understanding of what's really going on. So, you know, the, here's hoping that that kind of sanity might prevail in other cases as well, whether in, in regards to the, the president's um, thirst to turn over as much federal land as possible to private industry or, or um, you know, and presumably there will be a court uh, element to the conversation about fuel efficiency standards. And yeah, it's pretty amazing to see a president so clearly bought and paid for as this one. I mean, his fealty to the coal industry is just <laughs> – Which, which only, actually hasn't – it hasn't gone that well for uh, No, West no. Virginia. In fact, they just they – well, they just point out in Kentucky and West Virginia there's been no increase in employment. Well, it's been a decline. The a decline in, That's in, correct. in coal jobs. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because well, it's become increasingly automated yeah. and because there's only so much demand. And so, okay, all those people out there who, you know, pick the Republicans because they don't pick winners in the economy, whereas the Democrats do. Yeah. Um, yeah. What happens when coal and nuclear power are, reinstit- are reintroduced into uh, the uh, power grid? Yeah. How's that going to fare for wind power from Iowa? Right. <laughs> hey, uh, we've been talking uh, with Charles Goldman here about uh, oh, about a range of stuff relevant to climate change, the fires, fuel efficiency standards, uh, the the Montana court ruling relevant to the Keystone Pipeline. I want to take a second to thank some of our other partners on this program. Uh, Catering by Sid. Uh, Sid Cohn uses uh, local and fresh ingredients in season, and every one of her catering catering arrangements is custom-made. That's Catering by Sid, C-Y-D. Also, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has been treating critters large and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic, located in Nevada, Iowa. Thanks also to Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, supper, and they've got a catering service as well. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Again, thanks for tuning in to today's program. If you're listening online, sorry, if you're listening on our community station, Stay tuned. We've got more conversation for you. Otherwise, again, we broadcast live every Monday at 11 o'clock from uh, Des Moines, Iowa, Lorraine at 1260 AM, 96.5 FM, in the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. So welcome. This is Dr. Charles Goldman, Fallon Forum. And we're here on Veterans Day 2018 with uh, Ed Fallon. And as some of you may already know, uh, there was one American visit to France that just concluded. (laughs) (laughs) And it didn't go over too well. No, no. You know, they say that Trump was actually frowning and kind of looking a bit, you know, ill-tempered when Macron was saying certain things about the, um, the, the importance difference between of, patriotism and nationalism. Yeah, and, and yeah. the importance of, of avoiding uh, a nationalistic mentality that says your country own, only. Right. And and everybody else was getting rained on except for our president. But um, but we, we'd like to talk a little bit today about another experience, another American in Paris. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that was Ed Fallon back in yeah. uh, 2015. 15, yeah. Yeah, it was on Armistice Day that myself and Steve Martin, uh, two survivors of the great piece, of the great March for Climate Action. No, this uh, is not Steve Martin, the one with the arrows through his head. No, no, this is Steve Martin with the, with the one, one with the brain in his head. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> now we uh, we set out from uh, Normandy Beach, from Omaha Beach, actually, on the um, uh, one of the five beaches that were uh, that host to the invasion. Tom Hanks landed on. Yeah, right in 1944, <laughs> and um, you know. 
Uh, Armistice Day is always a celebration in France, but it wasn't that big a deal. It was this year because it's the hundredth anniversary of the uh, of the end of World War One. But the um, the war to end all wars. Yeah, that worked really well for us. But um, you know the, uh, the 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 event. It was it was quite a day. I mean, we we got a slow start because we had to tour the uh, Normandy American Cemetery Memorial. And what I was particularly pleased with is we talked with the staff there. Uh, they, they got it. I mean, we were saying, you know, our feeling is, I mean, we were, we were walking from Normandy, from Omaha Beach to Paris for the UN Climate Summit, making the point that, you know, with the urgency that we addressed fascism back in 1944, that's the urgency we need today to address climate change. And they got it. The, the staff there said, yeah, I mean, and they were, um, they were French, uh, but they spoke English really, really well, obviously. It's the American Cemetery and Memorial. But they got it. And they said, you know, one of them said, you know, the, we, we get this feeling that we, sometimes people think that the earth belongs to us. But, no, the earth is going to get by fine without us. We belong to the earth. And, um, you know, all along, the, the way, I, I, you know, you know when, you, when you leave Omaha Beach, you don't walk immediately inland because the, the, the ocean at that, that point or the, the land at that point runs east-west. So for our first two days, we're walking along the beach. Mm-hmm. We're like right on the beach at times. And you're seeing all sorts of um, signs and remnants and memorials uh, and evidence of the, uh, of the incredible battles that occurred back then of the, and the incredible sacrifices that were made. And as you move inland from there, you realize that those sacrifices weren't just by the Allied troops, but they were, you know, they were, you know, by the uh, French civilians that um, were caught in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, there were, you know, we saw we saw town. We went through towns where, you know, a church was still standing that had been severely damaged, or where buildings used to stand, and now all that's there is a plaque, you know, a placard, you know, reminding us what was there. Mm-hmm. But the, um, you know, the uh, the the, the truth is that. Uh, those towns were actually hit harder by the Allied invasion than by the Germans when they came through years earlier. And despite that, you know, there was no... Well, that's sen- because they surrendered. Yeah, well, yeah, they surrendered to the Germans. But right. the, 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 uh, the Allied forces had to bomb those communities in order to get the, you know, the German forces out of there. Right. And people got that. And there was a... I mean, I mean it had to be really, really upsetting to see your church come down, your home come down. I mean, yeah. and there were people who died, too, as that, as that, uh, as, they, as the invasion progressed. But, you know, it just, um, uh, what, what, what strikes me in terms of our current crisis is that people unanimously came together to do something big and impressive and, uh, and to battle an evil that seemed insurmountable at the time. Uh, and, we, we did that in very short order. It didn't take long to retool an economy to engage that, that conflict. And, you know, the only thing preventing us from doing that now with regards to climate change is the lack of, a, lack of political will. Right. And that, was, that was kind of what we came away with. And, you know, unfortunately, we had, we had conversations with people along the way about climate change. And then um, two days after we started the march, of course, the terrorist attack occurred. I remember that, yeah. And that was uh, horrific and ended up dominating the news. The only interview I did with a TV station along the route was um, uh, about the terrorist attack. Uh-huh. <laughs> I started doing it in French. Then they said, you know what? Go ahead and do it in English and we'll translate. Well, thank goodness you didn't do it in Spanish. I've gone out with you and we order it at restaurants where supposedly you speak Spanish. I'm, I've never gotten the right food. so. Well, that's, that's your own fault. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh, or maybe because I'm teasing him. I like to say, yeah, Charles, order the say-sos. Yeah. And then I'll tell you later that that means brains what, anyway. <laughs> maybe maybe you can go on a little bit about um, what happened when you did eventually get into Paris uh, for the final part of the – what had been planned for the final part of that march. Well, the uh, there was a huge rally in March planned uh, mm-hmm. in conjunction with the, uh, the, um, the climate summit to – encourage the nations of the world to do the most aggressive and, and, um, and scientifically defensible, uh, you know, thing. I mean, just, just, just to respond with uh, an ambitious effort to hold emissions to the point where we would, um, we would uh, prevent the temperature from rising any more than 1.5 degrees centigrade. But the, um, the government decided that uh, that would not be allowed, that it was too risky to have that rally in March given what had happened with the terrorist attacks. I'm pretty sure that the government was using the terrorist attacks as an excuse to prevent this rally in March from happening. Because at the same time, I mean, the, the very last, some of the last steps we walked through Paris were along the Champs-Élysées um, during uh, the Christmas market, <laughs> mm-hmm. which stretches on for blocks and blocks. Uh, and, you know, if the terrorists wanted another place to attack, that would work just fine. Right. You know, they didn't, need another, they didn't need a climate rally in March. So I thought the government's excuse for the canceling of that was pretty lame. But what happened in its place was people gathered at the uh, Place de la, de la République and put shoes down. Mm-hmm. So there were um, literally thousands of pairs of shoes uh, from people who would have marched um, but instead left their shoes as a symbol of their concern that the Paris Climate Summit accomplish something big. And um, it was pretty powerful. There was even a pair of shoes there. I can't verify this, but it says they were, they were labeled as Pope Francis's shoes. And they very well might have been. I mean, the, the Pope is with us on this. Right. And uh, they were getting a lot of attention. What did the Pope's shoes look like? White. <laughs> Relatively clean. <laughs> didn't, didn't look like he'd done a lot of marching in them. <laughs> but yeah, they, they very well, well could have been papal shoes. I don't know. Were people concerned for their safety at that time? No. The biggest concern about safety was um, – and, and actually the, uh, the expression that was prominent after the, after the um, terrorist attacks was uh, je suis en terrasse, meaning I'm out on the terrace, which doesn't translate real smoothly in English, but what it means is – you're not going to scare me. I'm not going to go inside and hide. I'm going to be out having my coffee, having my beer, my wine, on the, you know, at the cafe where I'm used to going. You're not going to frighten me away. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that was a very powerful statement. But again, you know, yeah, and I'm sure the people who were organizing the march and rally wanted to say, yeah, we're going we're to continue to do the march and rally. Um, but then they were forced not to. Anyway, someone had it and marched anyhow. And I have never seen such a, well, except for the, the uh, New York City uh, response to the one-year anniversary of Occupy Wall Street in New York. Mm-hmm. I've never seen such a response uh, to a peaceful protest. Now, there were a couple agitators that decided to throw objects. Mm-hmm. But this was mostly um, peace- peaceful people who were just mad that they weren't being allowed to march. And they were met by incredible, uh, an incredible squadron of riot police. Really? I mean, who, if they're going to use all that, ma- that person power to suppress... The march, they could have used those people to secure what they'd already planned to do. You think so? Yeah. yeah you think so? Yeah. It was it was clearly an opportunity. The, the, the terrorist attacks were an excuse to shut down the climate march in Rome. Well, why? I mean, is uh, I don't and, know. The and French I got policies my, that antithetical to and, climate change. Why? No, would it's they, not. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not sure why. It may have been at the request of um, of uh, of other nations of the world. I don't know. 
I'm not sure. Well, we can't. Okay, we can't blame Trump for this because no, no, we can't blame Trump. He was not president at the time. But I, you know, I uh, I got my first taste of tear gas. I wasn't even that close to the um, Mm -hmm. to the. uh, I was trying to film it, and I was just downwind enough where I got a whiff of uh, tear gas. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. I I I suggest you avoid it if you can. Yeah, well, they they (laughs) test us when you're in the military, uh, but we put the mask on and they put us in a tear gas filled enclosure. The testing you or the mask? The mask. Okay. <laughs> we, we can get the mask on. And have oh, all right, it work. All right, okay, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, the um, the experience, the uh, 16 days of walking from uh, Omaha Beach to Paris, or, um, was a, it was a powerful experience, and it was kind of, you know, again, it took on an entirely new flavor because of the terrorist attacks. But, um, mm-hmm. but uh, learning more about what people had to do to fight for an end to fascism uh, to me, it was inspiring and left me even further convinced oh. that we can do what we need to do regarding climate change if we only have the political. So will. you felt like you were walking with the greatest generation. Uh, in some ways, you know, I mean, yeah. I, it really, I really, and you know, the further you got from the coast, the closer to Paris, the less often you saw monuments and destruction of buildings, you know. But they were still there, all, mm-hmm. all, all on the route, all on the route, and. Um, yeah, and you know, again, it was it was hard to have conversations about climate change with people after the terrorist attacks, but that that did happen, especially maybe a week or so later. Yeah, but people there got it. They got it. They they knew what we had to do, and um, hopefully, the rest of us will figure it out sooner rather than later. Hope so. This is Dr. Charles Goldman with Ed Fallon, broadcasting from uh, La Reina, twelve sixty a.m. in Des Moines.